This is the uncensored voice. No bullshit, just real shit. Discussing things that will stir the pot. Only here on the uncensored voice. With your host, Ricky Midnight. Make sure money's not wasted like that $55 million. Hi, this is Ricky Midnight with the uncensored voice. I have another story to relate to you guys. Something that I hope helps you and you get to take something away from this. You learn from this. I've had other people on here who have told you stories about remdesivir and how remdesivir kills, how remdesivir is what makes people die when they go to the hospital so Fauci and other people can make money. Well, this is Kelly from Buchanan, Michigan, and she's going to relay her story. And hopefully you learn from this. Don't let this happen to you. Kelly, tell us what has happened. Hi, thank you for having me. We um, my husband, Doug, um, December 13, 2020, Doug, he had a backache and he came down with COVID. He didn't know he had COVID. He swore he didn't have COVID, but he called into work and um, his HR said if he was going to take a day off, he had to have a COVID test. Was this before, let me, I don't mean to interrupt you, was this before the so-called mandate that you have to have COVID. Okay. This was before the mandate that employees had to have COVID. Okay. Yes. And, and it was before the vaccines and everything. So we, we, you know, we thought we knew things. Um, I knew about hydro HCQ hydroxychloroquine. I knew about that. Um, he, he tested positive. Our doctor called us on December 18th, 2020 and said, Doug tested positive. You need to quarantine. And, um, I asked him then, are you going to call Doug in anything? And I had asked him about HCQ back in April because I had a doctor's appointment and I had heard good things about it. And he told me it didn't work. So on December 18th, when he said that Doug tested positive, I said, well, are you going to call him something in? And he said, no, Doug's strong. He's healthy. Just let it run its course. Well, this was on a Friday. Well, on Sunday, he started running 102 temperature, um, just started like flu symptoms, um, really um, just slept all day. Well, on Monday morning, he was still running the fever of 102. So I called the doctor first thing in the morning. And of course, you know, no, no call back or anything. So about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, he was just, he was gray and he was really struggling. And I panicked. I called, my son lives down the street. He was working nights. So I called him and I called my best friend and uh, they both came. And by the time they got here, I had already called the ambulance. I panicked. Um, and they, they gave him oxygen. Um, he was talking to us. He was good. He was, my son helped him. Um, I, we followed him to the hospital. They told me that I couldn't go. And I said, well, the hospital have to tell me that. So we followed the ambulance and Doug was waving at me out of the back of the ambulance. And I'm, you know, telling him I'm going to, you know, kick his butt for scaring me. Um, we thought he just needed oxygen and he'd be home. 
Well, um, I stayed there in the parking lot with my friend and um, they told me I couldn't come in. So uh, we waited and we waited for the, the emergency room doctor to call. And he told me that Doug had COVID pneumonia and that um, they would treat him and he'd be home in a couple of days. And uh, Doug was healthy. Um, he didn't have any underlying anything. He was 6'2". He was just this big, stocky, strong man. And he was never sick. So um, they, I knew at that time, they told me that they were going to start him on the protocol, remdesivir. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know. I honestly did not know anything about I, we, this was a hospital that we went to for everything. And, you know, I trusted them. And uh, so this was on a Monday. He went to the hospital. We talked all the time. Doug was a truck driver. So Doug called me 10 times a day. He, at every stop, stop he'd call me. So we talked a lot. You know, he got a room. They took him up and, uh, on Tuesday morning, the doctor came in and um, she wanted Doug to put it on speakerphone so she could talk to me. And uh, she brought up a ventilator right then in Tuesday morning, the next day. She needed to talk to us about a ventilator. And we're both like, well, wait a minute here. You know, he's coming home. And she said, it's COVID. You never know what's going to happen with COVID. Everything was COVID, COVID, COVID. So, um, you know, of course she scared the crap out of me. So I, uh, you know, I said, well, if you're going to tell me, it's going to save my husband's life, but you know, he's coming home. So Doug kept getting different, um, bacteria in his, in his lungs every day. It was a new bacteria. And now that I have his hospital records, the more I go through them, I can put everything together of what started happening and when, now that I know what remdesivir does. Um, Had they been getting him remdesivir up until this point or? Uh -huh. He got it the whole time he was at Memorial, at, at the hospital. He was in, um, he was in the hospital in South Bend, Indiana for 10 days and the first week we could still talk this was over christmas um we could still talk on the phone the first week uh and you know he was you know he couldn't figure out why he wasn't getting better we we couldn't figure out it was different um different bacteria and every day they did put him on antibiotics because of the bacterial he had rare rare bacteria in his lungs and uh so he did get antibiotics but they were ones that caused kidney failure too um he got um by the after the first week he couldn't even talk to me one day i he, i didn't get a call from him i didn't hear from him and I called the nurse and uh, she said, he's really depressed and he's really struggling. And I'm like, it's Christmas. He's never been away from our family at all. And this whole time I didn't, I wasn't allowed in. 
And I would tell him every day, this is pure torture. You are torturing us every day. I would tell him that. <clears throat> and uh, so um, they, uh, I said, well, just go in there and tell him, you know, to text me. So we were texting for, for that second week that we were in there. And on December 30th, um, well, they told me that he became a diabetic. He, this was when he, he, um, the first week when he was still able to talk on the phone, he called me and he said, you need to call the doctor because I'm getting, they're giving me two shots in my belly. And I'm like, no, they're only giving you one for the blood clots. And he said, no, they're giving me two shots in my belly. So, um, I called the doctor and she said that, yes, um, his um, sugar levels were so high because of the steroids. Well, Doug threw a fit because he's a truck driver. You know, he stayed, you know, you got to follow the rules when you have those kind of jobs and you got to pass those, uh, those physicals and stuff. So he was not happy and uh, he didn't, you know, I said, is he going to be on insulin the rest of his life? And she didn't know. But um, so then um, the second week that he couldn't talk, um, he was on the big full face masks and he was scared to death. Was Did he mention or did they mention any time he was retaining water? Oh, yeah. They never told me anything. I mean, they never told me any of this. Um, I didn't when they would talk to me on the phone, you know, they would just tell me that everything's okay. Everything's normal. And, you know, never told me any of the drugs, any drugs that he was getting. I would just say, just save him, whatever, just save him. So on December 30th, the doctor called me in the morning and she said that, um, we think that we have the bacteria under control and things are, you know, looking better. So I called everybody, you know, most of the time my, my family was here all day with me, but I let everybody know, oh my gosh, you know, keep praying, you know, the bacteria is going away. He's doing better. Well, at midnight on December 30th, I get woke up from a phone call that um, they're venting him. And uh, they said, talk to your husband. And they gave Doug the phone and uh, he sounded, he sounded good. It was all he said to me was, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then they took it from him. And uh, the doctor said that they would vet him and they would call me in about 45 minutes. So I called his best friend and his wife and they got here right in time for the doctor to call back and his uh, best friend, Dale, took the call. And uh, he, the doctor told, told us that Doug probably wasn't going to make it. And uh, Dale said, well, wait a minute. You know, the doctor just told us that, you know, he was doing better this morning, that the bacteria was um, clearing up. And he said, well, it's COVID. And that was that. Was that. So that, you know, that was about one o'clock in the morning by the time one, one thirty. And of course, you know, we thought, huh, it was that he wasn't going to make it then. 
So probably about 9.30 in the morning, I get this call from this doctor that at the time I called him a miracle doctor. I, I was like, you know, oh my gosh, they're going to try to save him. So this doctor calls me and he said that um, your husband is a good candidate for the ECMO machine. What's that? And he explained it to me. And uh, he told me that um, the only reason Doug got to go on that was because all his organs were healthy. So I'm like, well, what would you do? You know, I, and he said, if it was my dad, I would, I would do it. So he said, the only thing is he has to be transferred three hours away to Indianapolis. And at that point, I'm like, just do whatever. You haven't let me see him anyway. Just if you got it, just if you have to take him, just save his life. If this is what you're going to do to him. But that's not yeah. that's not what they had planned, right? No, 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 no. But and I don't even know. I mean, there's been a lot of things going on with with organs and everything. And there's been a lot of dishonest things going on with organs and it just you never know what their intentions were mm -hmm. so um doug was transferred they put him on ecmo in south bend so they put him on ecmo and they um took him to indianapolis i did i begged i called that hospital continuously on that morning and begged and begged and begged and begged and I wouldn't take no for an answer. And they let me see him before they transported him. But it was for one minute and he didn't even know I was there. It was just ungodly. And uh, so they took him and uh, the doctors from Indianapolis, you know, we touched base. They They let me know what was going on and he was there for about a day and they called me and they said that um, Doug had blood in his kidneys. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, they said, did he have any um, cancer, any issues? And I'm like, the reason Doug had to go on ECMO is because he was healthy. Do you remember? You know, I said he had nothing wrong with him. So then um, as the days went on, he was starting to have kidney issues his kidneys were starting to shut down they told me it was because of the lasix they were going to um start taking him off some of the lasix and then you know i was like well what about his heart you know if he's filling up with fluid fluid and stuff and they're like well we have to worry about one thing at a at a time and then um, he started having heart issues he went into cardiac arrest he was full of fluid um, finally um, we did get to FaceTime him, but you know how that is. He was completely paralyzed. Um, he was on fentanyl. They had him so drugged up. And I look back now at some of the text messages that I got from him. And now I understand why they didn't make sense. But... So, um, 
I had to go down for a meeting. He was in Indianapolis. I think I went down on on January. He went to Indianapolis on December 31st, and I had to go to a meeting on January um, 14th. And they had never told me any of this, but when I went and sat down, my one of my brothers went with me because I could only take one person with me. And uh, they told me that he went into cardiac arrest and that they saved him once and that he wasn't going to survive. And that if I wanted to be with him because he could die at any time, I had to be the one to take him off life is war if I wanted to be there. And, you know, it's torture. It really is. It's what they do to him is torture. Um, so I came back home and talked to the kids and I couldn't let him, I couldn't do that to him. It was awful. And, uh, the ECMO machine, you have a one inch tube coming out of your neck and then it, it's um, filtering the blood out and it goes back in through your groin. <laughs> and just to see my strong LPS like that is torture. <laughs> so I know Doug would not have, he would want me to be there. <laughs> But he wouldn't want to live like that, and he wouldn't have lived. He would have. He wouldn't have lived, and it could have happened at any time. And so on January sixteenth, um, his best friend Dale and I went back, and uh, and he passed away at two ten on January sixteenth, twenty twenty one, and for that whole year for I kept saying you know I kept telling my family I kept telling all my friends you know something's not right it just isn't right there's he shouldn't have died there's something you know something's going on and I kept trying to research and find things and I found Trez and Joey's Angels and uh when I got Doug's um, medical records, you know, in there it says that uh, a nurse, this was like the first week he was in the hospital in South Bend, you know, um, I told him, no, he can't have water, you know, well, you have a mask on blowing that air in your face like that, you know, they won't give him water. Um, just the simple things, just to have me there. Doug and I have never been away from each other. And uh, then I found out that he had five um, blood transfusions. And when he was down in Indianapolis, I didn't know any of that. Um, they tell you what, I guess they, they tell you what they want to tell you and they don't tell you everything that's going on and you're at their mercy. You're just begging them the whole time. Just save them, save them. And, you know, he was so depressed. And one point I got a, a text message from him when he was still in South Bend and 
he said, um, did you talk to the doctor? And I said, yes. And he said, I told her I'm coming home. I'm coming home and my wife can take care of me. I can't do this anymore. They know where I'm coming from. And I'm like, now that I know, now that I look back and look through his medical records, I know that he was, he wanted out of there. And he couldn't talk to me and I didn't, I I didn't know. And when I called her and I asked her about that, I said, Doug just texts me and he's, he's mad. And she said, he's depressed and he's, um, his anxiety levels are really high. And I'm like, you know, it's Christmas. We were all, it was all through Christmas. And I said, just let me come up there. You know, oh, we have to follow the CDC guidelines. And, you know, that that's all I heard is we have to follow the protocol. We have to follow the CDC protocol and the guidelines. And it's like, you know, it's just, it's pure torture. And if I can save one family from going through this, the hospital, they are all still giving remdesivir. If you go to, there's two hospitals in South Bend, Indiana, and they are both giving remdesivir. In uh, Lakeland Hospital in um, St. Joe, they are still giving remdesivir. Um, And it's just, it's ridiculous. And when these other drugs, early treatment works. It works if they would just give these people the early the the I'm gonna say it ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and the the antibodies those things work and what they're doing to people is torturing them. When I got to see Doug, um, I couldn't believe like the size of his hands. He was so, he had so much fluid. His hands were like three times the size of what he was. And you know, that remdesivir, you get fluid in your lungs. What are the, fentanyl, what does fentanyl do? Oh yeah. You know, you, it suppresses your breathing. You know, why Ativan, why are they giving these drugs? He was on antibiotics that um, caused kidney failure. Three. He was on three drugs that caused kidney failure. And- well, I've I've heard from several people, you and and um, Greta, and several people, that remdesivir helps you retain water. Mm-hmm. It's into your lungs. Yeah. It's hard for you to breathe. It's, it's kind of like a trickle down effect. I mean, you, you give them this shot because your hospital is going to make money off of it. So you want to yeah. get, you want to say they have, um, they have COVID. Um, Greta said she went in, they tested her, no COVID, tested her, no COVID, tested her, no COVID. Then they give her a shot. Oh, now she has COVID. Cha-ching. Yeah. Got COVID. Let's give her remdesivir. Give her desert. Cha-ching. We just gave her a shot. You know, cha-ching. We give her another shot. Cha-ching. You know, this, this, and this. And just. It's, it's a money-making scheme. That's one it's, of the why people need to be aware of these situations. You know, your immune system can do a lot. Then you go yeah. in there and this drug de- just destroys your immune system. Destroys yeah. it. You know? 
Mm-hmm. My um, neighbor lady, um, she was, I think, 89. Um, just a couple months ago, she passed away from a massive stroke. She, she had a stroke at home and uh, her son lives next to me too. Um, he came over and he said, uh, you're not going to believe this, but they said mom had COVID. I said, yeah, they said mom had COVID because they just got a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. for admitting your mom and saying she had COVID. I said, I want to see what her death certificate says. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, it, you see, and they're jokes, but they're they're based in reality. You see jokes all the time. You know, somebody got into a car wreck and burned to death. He died of COVID. Well, you know? The documentary that April Moss, that I'm doing with April Moss, there is a guy on there that did get in a car accident. Mm-hmm. His story is fascinating. I definitely want to see this. Uh, yes. uh, I need the link. <laughs> I need this link. I want I'll to send it to you. I have a trailer for it, but it should be it should be released any day. Yeah. I'll send you the trailer. Well, thank you for sharing your story, and I'm very sorry this happened to you. Um, to him, it, it it's sad. It's sad when people go into the hospital. Like I said, I was terrified when my mother went in, um, because of what they were going to do, and thankfully. The, the hospital here in San Antonio, Texas, in Live Oak, Texas, it's just a little bitty town outside of San Antonio or within San Antonio. They were great. They never asked us to put our mask on. I, um, I asked them, I was, I was prepared. You know, I had talked to Greta about the house bill um, and I was prepared to go off on them. N- never had to. Um, they, they said, um, come in. And uh, so she goes into the exam. I said, I, I'm going to go in there with her. Okay, no problem, sir. Never worn my mask once. Um, uh, wow. Yeah, they, they didn't give her room till about three in the morning uh we went in uh just after i got off work it was about six o'clock and it took that long for them to give her a room then i came home because i had to work the next day so i got like three or four hours sleep um but um yeah they were really good and obviously they didn't give her a up here because she's here she's 80 yeah thank god yeah well so- when the day that doug passed um you know of course they made us dress in the ppe they they dressed us they put the masks on us we had to wear everything the the gowns the the gloves and uh i went in the room and a nurse followed me and i said i'm taking this stuff off and she said no you can't i wouldn't advise that and i said you're not going to tell me I have to wear this stuff to say goodbye to my husband. And I start ripping it all off and she got mad and I threw it. And when, when his best friend came in, she had a nurse behind him. And I'm like, you can take this stuff off. We're not going to tell him goodbye. I'm going to touch my husband, mm-hmm. but yeah, your Texas is a, you know, is a whole different state, Michigan and Indiana. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. Well, um, Greta was in uh, New Jersey, yes. right? New Jersey. Greta, Greta's in Texas and Trez oh is in New Jersey. Greta's here. Um, so it, it happened to Greta here in Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's just different in San Antonio. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My niece works in Lubbock, uh, which is here in Texas, obviously. She works in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. And I hope they're not giving her desivir. I hope she's not doing that to people. Um, I know. You know, yeah. I, I'm gonna have to ask her. I'm gonna have to text her and ask her. Have you heard of remdesivir? And she says, Yeah, yeah. We give that to our our patients who have COVID. Oh, geez. And uh, you know, show her, her show her our stories because nurses have to. I mean, 
they have to wake up. They're, they're administering it. I know they're doing what I know they're doing what their orders are, but they're administering this drug and well, they've got to stop. I think it's one of two things with, you know, doctors and nurses giving this mostly nurses, right? I think it's one of two things. Either they're ignorant and they don't know what it does. And they've never bought yeah. the research, which should have done, or they do know what it does and they don't want to lose their job. Their higher ups are telling them do it anyway. And yeah. They have such a callous heart that they're going to go ahead and do it, even though they know what it's going to do to people. Well, it's one of the two. I mean, you know, it's either a lie yeah. or the truth. You can't, there's no, no in between. You know, it's one of those things. So, yeah. And by this time, it's been going on for what, well over two years. They know what it's doing. When your patients are all dying mm -hmm. and they're, none of them are surviving from this, you know. There's only a few that have survived, and it's only because, by the grace of God, somebody got them out of the hospital in time. One of their family members, they've they've had police. Some family members have called the police and had them do a wellness check just to get their family out of the hospital. Well, a hospital uh, does not have the right. Any, no, they do not have the right to hold you there. The only time they can hold you there is if you're a danger to yourself or others. And that would be an emergency detention. It's the only time they can hold you there. And emergency detention, they can't call emergency detention. Only, only an officer of the law can call for an emergency detention, right? Well, and yes, and they're trying to take your rights away. I, did, I felt like I had no rights. Yeah. I'm sure Doug felt like he had no rights. Mm -hmm. You know, I was not even allowed in there at all. And then you're supposed to sign. You are supposed to sign an emergency use act for the remdesivir. How many people do you think signed that? We sure didn't. I, I know there's a lot of people who don't sign it and they still give it to them anyway. Yeah. Boy, she's never, she never signed anything. Matter of fact, no. she, I don't want anything that has to do with COVID. I don't want a COVID shot. I don't want this or that. And they gave it to her anyways, whether she yeah. wanted she didn't know what remdesivir did she didn't know if it made her toenails grow longer she had no idea yeah. but thankfully that this site is out there joey's angels is out there and people are actually starting to wake up to this so don't let your family members go into a hospital blind you need to do your research you need to know about that house bill that i'm referring to that's house bill it was 127 right or no 528 i think it's 528 if i'm not mistaken um it'll be in my description here i'll actually put that in there for you for sure but and i'll put joey's um link in there but yeah people need to know about this um yes. I, I tell you it's like i said as soon as my mom went to the emergency room i got off work i told my boss hey i gotta go my mom's in the emergency room with chest pains got to go. He said, yeah, go, just go. I got mm -hmm. there. Um, it happened to be just about the end of my work day. So I, I get there and um, that was the first thing I did. I, I, I sat down, I started texting Greta. I said, Greta, what's that house bill? I need to know it, blah, blah, blah. Thank God for Joey's angels. I, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a lifesaver. There's hotlines on there. The Bartlett's, uh, Laura Bartlett. Oh my gosh. She has been wonderful. If I have questions, I'll message her and the Bartlett's, they answer everything back and they're wonderful. But on Joey's angels, protocolkills.com, um, there's links there to hotlines for frontline doctors, um, former feds group. Um, all our stories are in there. Um, there's access to a lot of information in these groups. So, yeah, um, I'm going to put a link to protocolkills.com as well, which is a Greta site, right? I believe Greta yep. 
things that. So I'm gonna put a link to all these things on there or in the description. And um, go to these sites, people. If you're you may not have family members who are sick right now, but it could happen here in the next few days. It could happen in a couple of months. You need to be warned. You need to be armed. You need to, don't put your bulletproof vest on after you got shot. Put it on before you got shot. That's what we used to do when I was a police officer. You put it on every day. You put that uniform on. She never know when you get shot. And I never have been shot, but I wore it every single day. So you need to be warned and you need to know about these websites. Know what's going to happen before it happens. Yeah. But hey, um, this is Ricky Midnight, proudly unpoisoned. God bless America and God bless Texas. Thanks for listening to the Uncensored Voice. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And remember, on the Uncensored Voice, we tell it like it is. So be safe, my friends, and may God bless America.